Tonight, I'm going to talk about facing the unknown. And I have many motivations for this talk, but one of them is that this Saturday is the autumnal equinox. And I just want to talk about the equinox for a moment. The equinox is a planet-wide event. On, on Saturday, every point on the planet will have 12 hours of daytime and 12 hours of night. Everywhere on the planet, the sun will rise due east and set due west. It's only one of two days of the year when this happens. The other is the other equinox. In the northern hemisphere, this is the crossover point. For the next six months, the nights will be longer than the days. So we're entering into the dark time of the year. In the southern hemisphere, just the opposite. They'll be, for the next six months, they'll have more daylight than nighttime. Tomorrow is dawn. Sorry, Saturday is dawn at the north, at the South Pole. And for the next six months, the South Pole will have 24 hours a day uninterrupted sunlight. And similarly, Saturday will be dusk at the North Pole. And for the next six months, the North Pole will have 24 hours a day uninterrupted darkness. And also, if you've been noticing over the past two weeks, and, and again over the next two weeks, this is the, the time of the year when the length of daylight changes by the maximum. So if you, if you looked at, if you were aware of day, the amount of daylight we had two weeks ago, to two weeks from now, you would see a dramatic change in how much shorter the day has gotten. Of course, this is a slow, gradual progress, and and it's ironic. We tend not to be aware of the planet-wide events like this. We're only aware of daylight savings time, which is the game we play with ourselves. That's another story. So we're approaching the equinox, approaching the dark time of the year. And darkness, of course, is one of the metaphors for the unknown. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm facing a lot of unknown in my own life, which is, which is why I was inspired to talk about this. And it's a very interesting question. What is your relation to the unknown? What stories come up when you're facing the unknown. Carl Jung talked about how when we're facing the unknown, the mind almost automatically fills it in with chatter. You know, chatter from our unconscious. So either fantasies or worries or fears. And in fact, it can be a great exercise when you know that you're looking at something unknown. What are the patterns of the chatter that you see? Those patterns are, are important, and they, they probably give you some information about what is, what is brewing in your unconscious. And the unknown is funny because, say, think about your schedule for the rest of this week. Probably like me, you have some plans, you know, and certainly if you have a job, there's some predictable things. Um... 
you know, in, in my former job as a high school teacher, there was a predictable schedule. You know, I would certainly teach the same classes every day and I'd have a rough idea in any week what I'd be covering in every class. And so there's a way that some things about the, the future are predictable. But the funny thing is that even when we're going through our predictable future, we know there's always surprises. We know there's always things that we didn't expect. You know? And so there's a way that the future contains an inherent aspect of the unknown even as we move through our relatively predictable schedules. You know, and I, and I think there's a way even by fixating on what is predictable, it almost blinds us in a way to, to what is truly surprising and unique and unknown about the, about the future. There's a quote I want to read. This is from T.S. Eliot. This is from The Four Quartets. There is, it seems to us at best, only a limited value in the knowledge derived from experience. The knowledge imposes a pattern and falsifies, for the pattern is new in every moment, and every moment is a new and shocking valuation of all we have been. We are only undeceived of that which deceiving could no longer harm. So as always, there's a, there's a lot going on there in Eliot, and that, that quote will be on the quote sheet, so you can, we can read through it again. There's a lot there. Um, but the idea that all of our life experience imposes a pattern, which makes us have expectations. And, and to some extent, those expectations are helpful, and those patterns are helpful. Um, but if we rely on those patterns... Sometimes it blinds us to what is outside our control, to what is truly unknown, to, what, to the ways that the world inherently is going to surprise us. And so first of all, there is there's, there's surprise, there's unknown, even in our predictable schedules. But then there's the larger issue of life is predictable until it's not, you know, and, you know, we'll be in a predictable schedule or predictable pattern for a long time. And then sometimes gradually or sometimes suddenly that pattern will shift and then maybe we'll be on to another predictable pattern for a while. You know, and this points to the deeper truth of impermanence. This, this deep Buddhist idea of impermanence. And I think this is really a hard idea. I mean, it's, it's very easy for us to go up into our heads and say, yes, everything's impermanent, you know. And there's some kinds of impermanence that are kind of predictable. Again, like, like the equinox, like the seasons. I mean, that, you know, the phases of the moon, that's all very predictable. Um, the hard part about impermanence is the part of it that's unpredictable and unknown. The change that we don't know when it's going to strike, you know, the thing that we take for granted for years and suddenly it's gone, 
you know. I thought my hands were going to be healthy my whole life, you know, and they were until they weren't, you know, that kind of thing. That's the thing that's scary about impermanence, the way anything can change. And I think it's, you know, again, it's easy to do the head thing of, yeah, everything's impermanent. I think it's really hard to live with the the deep awareness of impermanent. Um, last, uh, last week I talked about grief, and I think there was a quote about... Um, some some Buddhist teacher saying, you know, holding up a teacup and saying, to me, this teacup is already shattered. And because of that, I can appreciate it and enjoy it for what it is, you know. And really to, you know, to hold, to embrace impermanence at that level is very hard. The, the unknown aspect of impermanence. We don't know when the teacup is going to shatter. We don't know when we're going to lose any of the seemingly permanent things in our lives. So there's the unknown that is, you know, in the objective world and our schedules and this sort of thing. A whole other level of the unknown is in other people and especially in other people who are close to us. You know, and again, we're we're creatures of habit. We like patterns. We like predictable. We like to be able to predict how the other person's going to be. You know, um, it's very easy if things are predictable. And it's you know it's a it's a wonderful question for each person that you're close to. To what extent am I supportive of the parts of them that I don't know? You know, and often that is, not always, but often that is if the person is in some kind of growth process, the next stage of growth is going to be a face that's new for me. You know, maybe to some extent I can predict some things about it, you know, but it's going to be new for me. Um, Can I be open to the way that people are growing in my life? Even even if I'm, you know, obviously I'm not in control of of their growth process, you know. Again, I was a high school teacher for many years, and it was always kind of a poignant thing, especially later in my career, working with teenagers. And teenagers are wonderful. I love teenagers. And often they would come in and complain about their parents, you know, I mean, you know, standard teenage fare. And of course, you know, and I met some of the parents. The parents were wonderful. They weren't the ogres that their their kids made them out to be. But it's a funny thing about teenage years Because the parents, on the one hand, each pair of parents know that kid better than anyone. They they have tons of data on that kid, tons of background stories about that kid. They know that kid very well. But it's almost because they know them so well and are so attached to them that it's hard for them to see sometimes the edge of growth that is emerging in the teenager. And as their teacher, someone who just met them, it's much easier for me to see the new face, 
you know. And so that there's a paradox there. Um, you know, and again, think about the people who are dear to you. Does your understanding of them smother them, confine them? Or does your understanding of them allow room for them to grow and surprise you, you know? So there's unknown in other people, and there's also unknown in ourselves. And Freud and Jung both use this term unconscious. And some later writers softened it a bit and changed it to subconscious. Um, Freud and Jung were both very much against use of that term subconscious. Um, Because unconscious really, um, it emphasizes the otherness in us, the radical idea that we carry otherness within us and that we're in relationship to otherness within us. The poet David White once said that that when we're in a growth process, the new phase, the sort of the, the new phase that we're going to be stepping into when we first encounter it within ourselves, it's a stranger and it frightens us. You know, because that stranger it embodies all kinds of, you know, responsibility and maturity and et cetera, et cetera, that we haven't quite stepped into yet, you know. It's actually a wonderful question. When was the last time you really surprised yourself? Do you allow yourself to surprise yourself, you know? Or you let yourself become so predictable to yourself, you know? It's a very interesting question. I'm going to close the talk by quoting a, a short Zen story. This is a Zen story between Fai Yen and Dijang. Fai Yen actually wound up being one of the, the greatest Zen masters of the Tang dynasty. And Dizang, it, it's, it's hard to say. He's a more shadowy mythological figure, um, some kind of bodhisattva figure. But the, the, here's the dialogue. Dizang said to Fai Yen, where are you going? Fai Yen said, around on a pilgrimage. Dizang said, what is the purpose of a pilgrimage? Fai Yen said, I don't know. And Dijang said, not knowing is most intimate. And there's something so beautiful about that phrase, not knowing is most intimate. You know, this is in some sense close to what um, Shunryu Suzuki called beginner's mind. You know, 
Suzuki said, in the mind of the beginner, there's lots of possibilities. In the mind of the expert, there are few possibilities. You know, when we're truly in beginner's mind of anything is possible, that in a way is a kind of not knowing, a not not trying to control a situation with our own conceptual overlay. You know, and I think there's something so profound there, both about personal growth and about connecting with the sacred. Not knowing is most intimate. You know, there's there's something deeply mystical about that also, you know, not, not having a fixed symbol or label, you know, God talk or something like this. Um, but really embracing the not knowing of the sacred, you know, to, to relate to the sacred is, is to be in profound relationship with not knowing. So on that note, I'll share the quote sheet. I will share it with the zoomies and Oops. Oh, it, uh, hold on. It doesn't, doesn't want to, um, there we go. So in the quote sheet at the top, I have the, the T.S. Eliot quote, which is worth a few rereads, I realize. There's also the, the Zen dialogue that I quoted. From Kierkegaard, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. H.G. Wells said, we must, allow, must not allow the clock and the calendar to blind us to the fact that each moment of life is a miracle and mystery. A couple from Carl Jung. We must be able to let things happen in the psyche. For us, this is actually an art of which very few people know anything. Consciousness is forever interfering, helping, correcting, negating, and never leaving the simple growth of the psychic process in peace. It would be simple enough if only simplicity were not the most difficult of all things. Jung also said, your visions will become clear only when you can look into your heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside, awakes. Anton saint Exupéry, the author of The Little Prince said, a single event can awaken when us a stranger totally unknown to us. To live is to be slowly born. That's just such a beautiful quote, you know. Just think about the times when a single event awoken something that that wound up, you know, opening a whole new life path for you. Gregory Bateson said, quite simply, we live in our description of reality. So true. René Domal said, each time the dawn appears, the mystery is there in its entirety. Camus said, real generosity toward the future lies in giving all to the present.
The poet, Wislala Zamborska, said, When I pronounce the word future, the first syllable already belongs to the past. When I pronounce the word silence, I destroy it. Annie Diller said, Our life is a faint tracing on the surface of mystery. And Lamott said, I do not understand at all, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but thus does not leave us where it found us. That one is deep. Mark Halpern said, Don't worry about things that you simply can't know. Let them fall back and recede like the foam pushed aside by the flanks of a ship. Leave them behind and let your heart power on. Pema Chodman said, Letting there be room for not knowing is the most important thing of all. When there's a big disappointment, when we don't know, we don't know if that's the end of the story. It may be the beginning of a great adventure. Life is like that. We don't know anything. We call something bad. We call it good. But we really just don't know. Esmeralda Santiago said quite simply, How can you know what you're capable of? if you don't embrace the unknown. The comedian Gilda Radner, who was taken far too early from us by cancer, said, I wanted a perfect ending. Now I've learned the hard way that some poems don't rhyme, some stories don't have a clear beginning, middle, and end. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. Delicious ambiguity. Terry Hayes says, the world doesn't change in front of your eyes. It changes behind your back. Louise Bernier said, remember that fear causes, causes to happen the very thing it fears. That's why fear should be unknown to us. And sort of a, an odd play on that. The next quote, nothing is more frightening than a fear you cannot name. Rick Riordan said, knowing too much of your future is never a good thing. John Green said, you spend your whole life stuck in the labyrinth, thinking about how you'll escape one day and how awesome it will be, and imagining that future keeps you going, but you never do it. You just use the future to escape the present. Ernest Yebogah said, When you stay dormant, your life is at risk. When you dare to take a step, you take a step into risk. We have a choice. Yes, a choice to choose to dare to get our real reason to get our real reason on earth or to choose to live in mediocrity and conformity. But we ought to note that it is riskier to risk nothing when the life we live is always at risk. That last line is profound. It is riskier to risk nothing when the life we live is always at risk. Dibashis Midra said, Life is a daring adventure toward an unknown future. Its beauty depends on how much you enjoy the journey. And Roy Bennett said, Do not let the memories of your past limit the potential of your future. There are no limits to what you can achieve on your journey through life 
except in your mind.